How are we doing tonight? This afternoon, this evening, I guess I should say. Uh, it is good to be here with you. We are in our Taboo series. This is week two. Uh, and we're doing this series because there are some things that some people don't really want to talk about, uh, but we need to talk about them. And uh, so last week we talked about faith and politics. Uh, tonight we're going to be answering the question, what does it mean to be truly pro-life? And then next week we're going to talk about gender and sexuality. So uh, the goal is to have some conversation around these topics so that the only place you're hearing about these things is not from Hollywood or from culture or your friend who knows less than you do. So uh, I hope that this is helpful. And please show grace to me as we have these conversations. Uh, if you grabbed a handout in the back, you see that once again, I've chosen to start us with an equation. Uh, last week, we talked a lot about uh, truth and love. And so I want to start again uh, with this equation. For some reason, uh, Eric, it's still showing this weird background on the behind that. That's weird. Um, but truth plus love equals Christ-likeness. Truth plus love equals Christ-likeness. Last week we talked about having truth without love is harshness. Having love without truth, everything becomes relative. We need both. Truth plus love makes us like Christ. Let's look back at our theme verse. This is Ephesians 4.15. If you have never decided to commit one of our theme verses for a series to memory, I think this is a good one for you to consider. It says this, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We focused a lot on truth and love last week, but that middle part talks about becoming more like Christ. There's a fancy word for that. Does anybody know what it is? Somebody said it. Where? Southside Christian in the house. Sanctification. That's right. The process of sanctification means to become more and more like Christ. So we speak the truth in love. If you go read the accounts in the Gospels of Jesus, he spoke truth to power, to people in sin, uh, to everywhere he went, he spoke the truth. But he spoke it in a loving way. He was never a jerk, but he also didn't pull his punches. He told people, stop sinning. What you're doing is wrong. And so we have to be willing to have these conversations, even if they are a little bit uncomfortable. But how we have them matters. I want to read you this quote. Uh, by uh, a former priest named Brennan Manning. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So as you engage in these difficult topics, if you are unwilling to be gracious, you may do a lot more damage than help. Does that make sense? You can be right but be a jerk about it. And that's not helpful. So let's be aware of that. And actually, before we get into this topic, I'm going to pray because it's, it's, it's a heavy topic. So let me pray. God, be with us now. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Holy Spirit, be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about what it means to truly be pro-life. And I told you this ahead of the series, I planned this out months ago, and then things shifted in our country. The Dobbs decision overturned some previous Supreme Court decisions, and you may not know what any of that means, but it's been a big conversation. Uh, wherever you've been, probably you've heard people talking about it, that abortion, 
no longer legal, but it is still kind of legal in some places. It's now really a state's rights conversation. And you see people who are out here holding signs, I'm pro-life. You'll see people holding signs saying, my body, my right to choose. And a lot, I had to be very picky in the pictures I chose for this week because I saw a lot more ugly signs than that. It's a tough conversation to have. And Autumn said this earlier, not everybody in this room may agree perfectly on every point. And that's okay. Our goal is unity, not uniformity. So if you don't agree with everything I say exactly, that's okay. But we want to be unified. We want to be united around Jesus. And so what does it mean to be truly pro-life? I'll tell you. I think it's more than a political point. It's more than that. I'm not trying to talk around it. Kevin, what do you think about abortion? Kevin, what do you think about this conversation? I believe life is precious. I think it matters. And yes, I think that includes the unborn. Well, that's just your opinion. I don't feel... Stay with me. Let's look at scripture. Because this is one of those things, when you start to have difficult conversations, and maybe you're facing someone who's getting red in the face, and they're upset, and they don't agree with you, just ask them, hey, you know... Can we look at what the Bible says about this? Do you know what God says about this? Do you care what God says about this? If their answer is, I don't care what God says, you're kind of at an impasse. You can still love that person, but having further conversation may not be fruitful. So I want to go to scripture. To me, this is maybe the most beautiful chapter in the entire Old Testament. It's Psalm 139. We're going to look specifically at four verses. We'll go piece by piece. This is verse 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Talking to God. This isn't a happenstance process. You're more than a clump of cells or a fetus as you are developing. God himself is the one who knits you together. That moves me. I think something very beautiful about that. The psalmist continues, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. The workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Just the intricacies of your body and, and the way that an unborn child's body works is magnificent. Do some research on it. Verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. I think these unborn children, God knows them personally. Why do I think that? Because the Bible says it. And so to me, those lives, they matter. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. That's a beautiful passage. And so what am I saying? I believe life is precious. It's valuable. It's worth advocating for. And yes, I am talking about the unborn. I think this is a good conversation for us to have. But that is only part of the conversation. If you stop at, well, I'm pro-life and I care about the unborn and you don't have any further conversation, I think you're shortchanging yourself and you're not contributing fully. Try to help highlight some of that. I want you to check out this clip. This is a, a pastor named Leonce Crump. He's a pastor at a church down in Atlanta. Um, check this out. Oh. In terms of being made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Uh, then I don't know how social justice for the unborn uh, is not uh, an issue at the forefront uh, of every faithful 
gospel preaching church. Now, here's my hurdle with the subject. There's a little cartoon on Facebook about a year ago, uh, and it was a side-by-side. And one, there were men in suits talking to this pregnant woman, speaking to her stomach, saying, we love you, we love you, we will fight for you, we will do anything for you. And then the picture by it was a woman holding the hand of a two-year-old inside of a government building. And those same men in suits were, you moocher, you welfare queen, you. And, and so here's the deal. If we're pro-life, we're pro-life from the womb to the tomb. And so it doesn't mean that we don't uh, fight for the justice of the unborn. Uh, but let's make sure we're also on the right side of these social issues related to those impoverished children. Because we know this statistically, uh, most of the children that are subject to the horror of abortion are impoverished, uh, economically disadvantaged children. And so they're going to be born into this world. Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to adopt them when they're left at a foster home? Who's going to take care of them when they're left outside of someone's doorstep? Uh, one of my jobs when I was working in foster care was to try and get the church engaged. And I heard on more occasions than I care to count, well, what's really in this for us? What's in it for you is caring for a child the way the Bible says, is living out your theology that says that life is so valuable that, that it is abhorrent to murder it in the womb. Well, then why would you leave it to brave the wiles of this world uh, without that same love and care and compassion? That's what it means to be pro-life. And if it's only about the womb, then, then you've only got half the narrative. I think he makes some great points in that video. If we're going to be a gospel-centered church, then yes, this conversation about the unborn should absolutely be at the forefront. It matters. But that is only part of the conversation. And he goes on, he talks about, you know, people coming into a foster care situation. What's in it for us? That's heartbreaking. I'm proud to be part of what we do here at Brookwood Church. We've got a ton of great people in our church. There's people in this room, you maybe don't even know it, who foster, who adopt, who are there to love these children. That's what it is to be pro-life. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful thing. He talks about living out your theology. Hey, if all you have is theology, and maybe you've got some strong theology. You, you've studied. You, you think you understand who God is and how God is. And man, that's great. But if you don't live it out, what good is it? Your theology should inform every part of your life. And that's why we're having these conversations. So I'll say it again. Yes, I believe life is precious. It's valuable. And it's worth advocating for. Yes, the unborn. But what about that child who is born into poverty? Are we advocating for them? What about the young mother who is scared and has no idea what to do? What about the special needs? Again, I love being here at Brookwood Church. We've got a great special needs program. If you were in big church this morning, you heard uh, Mike talking about how we can love on our special friends. And if you're looking to serve, thank you, Autumn and Zach, for hitting that earlier during announcements. We've got an event coming up in September. We do a hoedown. And you're like, what's the spiritual? Stop. It's fun. It's a great night for these special friends to come and just have fun and be celebrated. That's what it is to be pro-life. So instead of sitting on your butt playing video games one Friday night in September, why don't you come out 
and serve with us and love on these special friends and make them feel special. If you're like, hey, what are you even talking about? Give me more information. Come see me. We'd love to get you connected. And we do that. What about the homeless? Do we value their lives enough to do something about it instead of just feel guilty when we walk past them on the street? What about refugees who are fleeing from war and brokenness? What about the sick, the chronically ill? What about the imprisoned? What about the elderly? Raise your hand if you have a loved one who's in a nursing home. Anybody? Those of you who just raised your hands, you know what I'm talking about. You go in those places, and it's hard. Because there are people there who have no one to come visit them. Does all life matter? Yes. So we've got to think about those folks too. Not just on one end of the spectrum, but the other. There are people in this room you maybe don't even know who have loved ones who are sick, who require constant care. Who have loved ones who are in nursing homes far away and they feel guilty they can't get there. Being pro-life is more than what you do in a voting booth. Let me say that again. Being pro-life is more than how you vote on a particular issue. It has to inform how you treat everyone that you encounter because everyone that you encounter is made in the image of God and their life matters, even if you can't stand that person. The most annoying person in your life, picture them in your head, don't say their name out loud, they might be in this room. They're made in the image of God. The most awful, evil people in all of history were made in the image of God. If we're going to value life, we have to value it across the board. Now, this is something we see in Scripture. Deuteronomy 10, 18, Old School, Old Testament, says that He, God, ensures that orphans and widows receive justice, shows love to the foreigners living among you, and gives them food and clothing. These three people groups are highlighted over and over and over and over again throughout Scripture. The widow, the orphan, and the refugee. Why these three? Is it only these three? No, they are a representative group. Widows had no rights. So back in the day, in biblical times, if your husband died, you were in real bad shape. You couldn't own land. You, could, you couldn't do anything. Orphans is pretty self-explanatory. You have no parents to care for you. And refugees faced a slew of issues. Language barriers, discrimination, cultural issues. So God specifically looked out for those groups of people, those who maybe didn't have someone to advocate for them. And if we want to be like Christ, then this is something we have to consider. And it's not just in the Old Testament. This is from the New Testament. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's James 1.27. If you really want to serve God, it means serving people. If you're that person who's like, ah, man, sometimes I just wonder, like, do I really love Jesus? Am I really saved? Like, you maybe do that dance in your head every so often. Are you living your faith out? It shows up in your actions. Tonight, our, our main passage is going to come from Matthew 25. If you've got a Bible, turn there with me. I told you Psalm 139 is perhaps one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. This stretch in Matthew 25 is perhaps one of the most sobering. It's a tough read uh, because there are people in this passage who, who don't get it. So we'll read it a little bit at a time together. 
And then when we're done, I'll have some questions for you. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Jesus talking, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. So this is speaking of the future. There's going to come a time of separating sheep and goats. Let's look and see what he has to say. The king will say to those on his right, come. Oh, I lost it. Sorry. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. We get to the crux of this. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Stop for a second and look at that list. Would you be willing to do that for somebody? See somebody hungry? Would you feed them? Would you really? Think about the people you see holding the signs that say, I don't need money, I'm just hungry. I don't want to give money to somebody. What, what? Buy them a meal. Take the 10 minutes out of your life to humanize them. The one that really sticks out to me, I was a stranger. And you invited me into your home. Most of us are like, I draw a line, okay? Can't have anybody weird in my home. My home is my fortress. And you as a high school student, you're like, I don't even own a home. Well, one day you might. Are you going to leverage your home for the kingdom, or are you going to let that be the place that you retreat? We keep reading verse 37. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When do we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it. To me, Jesus makes the case here. When we care for the least of these, we're doing it for him. By extension, when we refuse to care for the least of these, you are refusing to care for Christ. To be truly pro-life means caring about all life, valuing all life, advocating for all life. Some of us just don't do it, if we're honest. That's where the rest of this part gets scary because he turns to those on his left and he says, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Sounds pleasant, right? For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And there's the same confusion because they come back and they're like, when did we ever see you like this? And I assure you, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he says, go away, again, to this eternal punishment. And now these righteous can come into eternal life. Guys, that's a, that's a tough passage. I challenge you this week, go back and read through that, marinate in it, sit in it. Jesus says that we have to care for the least of these. And one of the questions you'll be asked tonight in a small group is, who, who even are the least of these? Like, what does that mean? You need to think about that. It might look a little bit different for different folks in this room, some of the different folks that you come across. I've got three questions for you. Uh, you see you've got three blanks on your handout. I want you to ask yourself these questions. One, do I value the lives of others? Do I value the lives of others? I'm afraid we're a horribly selfish people. 
who primarily are caught up and concerned with us having what we want, how we want, when we want. I think for us to have a true pro-life ethic means being concerned with the lives of others, turning from within ourselves to be aware, even in your own home, do you care about your family, your friends? Are you a good friend or are you the one who always just, you're a taker? Do you love people well? Do you value their lives? Question two, who are the least of these? I told you, this is something you've got to think about. And you'll talk about it in groups in just a few minutes. Who are the least of these? You may go, hey, I don't see a lot of homeless people sitting on the side of the road. I don't know anybody who's naked and needs clothes. Of course, if I did, I would help them. But sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's that person who's just on the margins. They're on the fringe. They're not really in and they don't feel like they fit in anywhere. And you see them, and you may not know this, but they're hurting. There are people like that in this room. I was that person for a long time in my life. And I'm thankful that there were gospel-centered people who lived out a pro-life ethic who came and brought me in. Let me push a little further. This is in my notes. For some of you who come in here every week and all you're concerned about is just looking at your friends and we've got people sitting out here by themselves... No one talks to them. They don't feel included. They don't feel welcome. They may never even come back. How can we say we're pro-life? We don't care about that person. If you feel really guilty, I'm not trying to throw that at any one person. I'm just telling you, we can do better. We should do better. Last thing, how can I advocate for them? For the least of these, for the voiceless, for those who maybe don't have anybody to stick up for them, to stand up for them, how can you advocate for them? Because you may go, hey, I'm not an active contributor. I'm not the person who's ostracizing them. I'm not the person who's pushing them to the margins. But you might sit by and do nothing. You know who you are. You're not the one who made the joke, but you laughed at it. You're not the one who told them to get lost, but you certainly didn't step up and make them feel welcome. Did you value that life? Were you being pro-life in that moment? And let me go back even, let's talk about the core of this issue. Let's talk about the unborn for a moment. How can you advocate for them? It's more than getting on social media and taking a shot across the bow or looking for your echo chamber to come back and tell you exactly what you already believe. Take some action. Put your faith in practice. If you say you're pro-life, do something about it. It's more than just words because we will all stand before Christ one day and give an account for our lives. We just will. If you're all talk but no walk, I think you've got a significant problem. Significant problem. So Jacob's going to come back. Uh, he's going to close us out with a song. This is a hard subject. I want to say a couple things as he comes. One, again, you may have disagreed with everything I just said, and that's okay. I still love you. I hope you still love me. We can talk. Um, but I'm also not going to shy away from what I believe, what I believe this church stands for, we, we do advocate for the voiceless, for the unborn. We think that's a good thing. And yes, I do celebrate some of what we're seeing happen in our country. And yet, we have a unique opportunity before us as the church. Because I don't think the government out there needs to solve it. I think we, the church, the followers of Christ, his sons and daughters, are the ones who need to step up in this moment. And you're like, oh, I'm a high school student, I can't do anything. I don't believe that. I just don't. I refuse to accept that. You can make a difference even if you're 14, 15 years old. 
So as Jacob plays, just reflect, maybe even pray and ask God, God, how do you want me to make an impact in the middle of a very heated, divisive conversation? God, how can I live out my faith in a way that will make a difference? Let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for the gift of life. Help us to cherish it. Not just in ourselves, but God, help us to treat everyone that we encounter as valuable, no matter where they come from, no matter their circumstances. God, help us to be a voice for the voiceless. I pray that we would all just have an awareness this week from the youngest student in this room to the oldest adult, give us your eyes that we might love those around us well, that we might live out our faith in a way that brings you glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name.